Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. Now, a quick reminder before we begin, and yes, you've probably heard this before, you can catch the highlights from every single Premier League game before anyone else, except for those people actually in the stadium, simply by downloading the Times app to your smartphone in the studio today, we've got Alison Rudd, Clive Petty, and from my secret location in Richmond, Matt Hughes. To kick off, let's start off with Everton and City. Leon Osman returning to the side today with Gareth Barry unable to play against his parent club. Naismith, this is Barkley. Oh, look at that! Everton have the lead and a goal which will be celebrated on both the blue and red side of the city. Uh, Hughesy, there was usual conspiracy before this game. Um, oh, look, Everton, they don't want Liverpool to win the title, blah, 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 they'll throw the game. None of that happened, did it? No, and it was never going to, really. It's just a good talking point and an extra layer to add to what was always going to be a, you know, intriguing, exciting game. And it, it delivered. Everton were up for it. Uh, took the lead, fought their way back, and um, City had to work, work, work very, very hard. And I had beforehand the feel of the game that could decide the title, and um, that's that's how it felt afterwards as well. Clive, did it decide the title? Well, no, but it's, it, it, it was on paper. It was City's hardest game. If, if you'd asked anyone at the side of the City, at the side of the season, pardon me, if they could win, if they could beat Aston Villa and West Ham at home to win the championship. You'd probably take that, wouldn't you? So um, you'd make you'd make City pretty strong favourites as things stand. But um, they'll probably be another twist, and I'll look sound very stupid this time next week. <laughs> to give credit to, to to Pellegrini here, they go a goal down. You know, they get the equaliser, but then Aguero gets hurt. Then in the second half, you know, Yaya Torre gets hurt. Then Lukaku pulls one back. Was it a case of them holding their nerve? Yeah, I think so. I think he, he marshaled his resources pretty well. I mean, it could be argued that, you know, the Aguero injury allowed them to strengthen. Fernandinho came on then, wasn't it? Um, that was all the case point. But still, I mean, you don't, you're not like, you're not going to be like, oh, look, I want Aguero to get hurt so I can put him on a No, midfield. no, no. But, I mean, and he did have Negredo and Jovetic. It's interesting to me that he didn't say, okay, Aguero's off, I'll put on, you know, I'll do a like-for-like replacement. But he rejiggered it. I think he rejiggered it because, I mean, the pushing forward of Yaya too has, has worked in numerous times this season and I just think he obviously looked at it and thought well the midfield is where we're you know where we're going to need to strengthen here our forward line you know, once you push Yaya or Tui forward Zeko's always a threat throughout the entire game uh, you didn't need to throw on another forward I'm not quite sure how much faith he actually has in the Overtich anyway I mean Negredo hasn't done anything but well he just looks like he's not going to get another game he started brilliantly but isn't the guy he's called upon of recent t- in recent times so yeah I think you have to give him credit that um 
when the situation demanded it, he um, adjusted his troops accordingly. Alison, did he outwit your friend Martinez? It was actually quite a close game, wasn't it? And I, I don't buy into the conspiracy theory one bit, but... But? But, I mean, if you were there or watching it live on Sky, um, if you were there, you would have known the atmosphere was not normal. And on Sky, Martin Tyler referred to the atmosphere and how it must be affecting the players about 123 times. It was a really big deal as the game unfolded. And I did feel that Everton were playing the way you play when uh, results have gone against you and you know you're not going to get what you want from the season. So I'm not saying in any sense they handed the game to City at all, but I felt there was a freedom to the way Everton were playing and it felt a bit like it was um, a chance for certain players to impress Roy Hodgson, particularly Ross Barkley. There was a freedom to the way Everton played. That can sometimes mean a a team can absolutely trounce you. I'm not saying it it means the outcome is decided, but I felt we were looking at a slightly different Everton without that sense of these points really matter. It was more of an end of season. It looks like fifth is sewn up. That's all we can get. Let's express ourselves in difficult circumstances because I do think the atmosphere was peculiar. Well, I, actually, can I ask about that? Because I, I don't know if, if you guys watched Sky's coverage. I, I, I didn't, but I saw on Twitter and stuff that you know some people felt that Everton were being a little bit patronised. I mean, but was, No, there's, was there's a difference between the Everton and the manager Everton and the players and the crowd but you can't it's I think it's easy to say oh there's no way the players would have let the atmosphere affect them well not not consciously but subconsciously there was an end of season feel to it which is which which is a different feeling to Goodison throughout the rest of the season where there's been a sense that oh my goodness we could make a top four place because we're clicking no, that, no one agree that, with that? that? Well, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there, unfortunately. But is that necessarily because they don't want their team to win because they don't want to win the league? Or is it just because, realistically, they know that their chance for fourth is, is pretty much gone? It was the same at yesterday, Chelsea yesterday. In actual fact, the atmosphere was really flat. And that was reflected in, in the performance. And everyone can knew after Wednesday night of their season was probably over, despite still having a mathematical chance of winning the league. I don't think anyone in the ground believed that and that may have been the um, the case at Goodison on Saturday rather than any sort of conspiracy theory Yeah I think Matt has a point especially at Chelsea I mean the Chelsea supporter who actually wasn't there yesterday but I spoke to a couple and they were almost convinced that Chelsea were going to lose yesterday because they just thought To help Norwich To Norwich yeah they thought no, they were going to help them Well no but not not in that kind of conspiracy just because they're not that you know. It's one of those games they just wanted out of the way. They weren't going to try, and they couldn't be. You know, the fans weren't bothered about it, so the, they just got the impression the team weren't going to be bothered about it either. Are you guys okay with that? Is that is that fine? Well, I mean, sort of. It's, it's tradition. You get the last day of the season at home. You sometimes have a pitch invasion. The players all come that come round and wave goodbye. They do their lap of honor. If you have nothing to play for, are we all okay with that? That you know these games kind of unfold this way, despite what Sky tells us. Anybody we're not, have a problem we're not, with it? not okay with it, but it's kind of sort of human human nature. I think there's a difference. Depends as everything. It's about about context. If if you're Newcastle and it's your last game at home and you sort of need a result to end the season on a on a high and the manager's under pressure, then you might get a response. But if you're Chelsea and you've sort of been up there all year, just been knocked out of the Champions League, and then you've almost got nothing 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 to nothing to gain really. So I think it's. Um, these these players that we watch and comment on and admire, we sometimes do forget that they are human beings. And although they get paid an awful lot of money, as I'm sure people will be quick to point out, going out there and performing every three four days is not desperately easy. And and there were some occasions when you just you just can't turn it back on. And, and any, anyway, one of those on Sunday. Anyway, this this weekend there were teams who went out who had every absolutely everything to play for and acted as if they'd all come back from a week's on week holiday and had nothing to play for. So it, it doesn't it doesn't matter what your motivation's supposed to be. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. Kai, I want to ask you to since you're wearing a blue shirt to to become a um a, an Everton consultant for a minute because obviously Lukaku will likely be gone. I don't think they can afford him or afford his wages. Delofeo is going back to Barcelona. 
and uh, Gareth Barry is out of contract. They could sign him, sign him in. If you're Martinez, where do you go? Where do you go from here? What do you try to do in the summer? I mean, what would what would success represent next season? And also, I heard some people. Not everybody loves Roberto Martinez. I heard some people on my television. Really, really, I know. really? Name names. Well, well, I heard some people um, on my television say that. Well, you know, if he finishes uh, sixth this year, it's not going to be any kind of progress, and blah blah blah. Well, if we're purely talking position or points, I guess. But there's no. I mean, there's an argument that. I suppose there's no difference from that point of view from Moyes. You know, they're, they're in the same, they're in the same place in the league, but there are ways of getting there that show that there is might be something in the pipeline as, as that team has got better. And I don't, I think there's much disagreement that that team is more adventurous. But is it a better team minus Lukaku, Barry, ah, Delafeu? That's there's the rub. I think if if if, if you're gonna, you've got to find something. To be sort of people to replace those guys if they are leaving, or find the resources to find the replacements for those people, and that it will take some investment of which I don't know. But Everton's they always seem to be synonymous with a very precarious financial situation, and so um, whether they can play those loan deals as successfully as they've managed to in the past couple of seasons will be the trick for Martinez. I, I would definitely try and get Barry there on a permanent basis if he can. I think it did show on Saturday that you know, they took him out of the team because he couldn't play against City and, and it showed, I think. Uh, another striker to replace Lukaku, yes. Perhaps they actually could get Lukaku. I'm not sure how much... Um, well, well, Lukaku is exactly unhappy there. I mean, mm. you know, I wouldn't well, say it's definite he's leaving. Cusey would know probably better than all of us. Matt, what, what, what chance Everton to retain Lukaku? How much would it cost? Um, it cost a fee of 20, 20 million plus, I would have thought, and sort of wages. It would be at the, the very top of Everton's wage, wage scale. We'd be talking sort of sixty or eighty thousand pounds a week, I think, because he's had such a good. He's had a good three seasons, really, hasn't he? Um, and even if, even if Mourinho doesn't want him, there are lots of other clubs in um, Europe that do. His agent's pretty cute. He's already said he's been talking to Tottenham, so you'd expect quite a. Intense bidding war, shall we say, and those kind of situations are not set up for Everton. Everton don't tend to win bidding wars. They're at their best when they're sort of doing uh, intelligent and quiet loan deals, and also when they're trying to hold on to their players. I mean, that's the other issue you have. Ross Barkley, who also the um, great goal he scored on Saturday, he's likely to go to the World Cup. There'll be interest in him, not not least from Chelsea. I don't know if that might. Um, well, yeah, Matt. Be some sort of Matt, can we? Type of deal, but Matt, they're, you know, they've got keeping hold keeping hold of their spot will be will be, a, will be a problem. Never mind adding to it. Well, Matt, in light of that, could we? Is there any scenario where you know maybe some of some Everton players that Chelsea might want? Obviously, with Mourinho, they're not going to want either of the fullbacks because they're attacking fullbacks. Whether it's Ross Barkley. Whether it's Kevin Morales, is there any way maybe to package some sort of swap deal where you get Lukaku at the other end, or is that? Well, there theoretically is, but um, there's a reason swap deals are, are pretty rare at, at the top level. It's because they're so complicated. There's so many different agendas, and getting all, everything lined up and signed off at the same time is is, is difficult. We may may see a similar scenario at, between Chelsea and, and Atletico Madrid. It's Obvious, they want Costa, Torres. It sort of seems to have come to the natural end of his Chelsea career. There's the course while factor. So, from the outside looking in, it, it seems straightforward. But when you have all these the players and their agents, and they all want very specific things, it, getting it all done is is, yeah. is far more difficult. So, um, while you could say that you know Ross Barkley and Stones equals Lukaku and ten million, it, in in, rea- in reality, it's, it's different. And anyway, time doesn't stand still. Even if it goes pear-shaped with the players you've listed, Gab, for Martinez, he's very good at the loan system. And if the loan system still exists, he will still pull off coups. It was a coup to get Lukaku in the first place. He was supposed to be happy at West Brom. He's very good at convincing players, you will flourish under me. And now we have evidence that they do. Yes, but I do. I, I see what Gab's saying. I think it's going to be a difficult summer for Everton, as it always seems to be. One of the many um, reasons David Moyes got stick when he left Everton was he said he'd take him as, as far as he can, as he could. Um, 
Martinez has done very well, exceeded expectations, played nice football, but ultimately they're still left in the same situation where their budgets dictate it's very, very difficult for them ever to get in the top four, um, which I guess is probably made even more galling by how well their neighbours have done. All right, now Manchester United and Sunderland, yet another home defeat on uh, for Manchester United. Um, Alison, should we just go and blame David Moyes for this one too? Oh, I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't want to get into the result too much from a United, from, from the United side because, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is entirely irrelevant to Ryan Giggs in, in the sense that you're not, you're not going to judge Giggs on what he's going to do in these, in these four games, are you? Now he has lost this game and you know as you say we can just easily blame let's blame David Moyes because nobody wants to blame that nice Ryan Giggs but if he'd won against Sunderland after following up the first match and by some miracle come out with victories in all three or four games there would the clamour for you know oh Giggs he's got to oh what a guy he's got to stay would have been uh, you know just so loud it would have been untrue yeah no that the Clive has a point it's not it's not just if he, in the games he was in charge, we look back and he'd won them. It, it, if Giggs had managed to make United play with mm. verve and optimism and, you know, been exciting and scored goals and looked like a proper team and there were echoes of the Sir Alex era but with knobs on, every, everyone would be saying, wow, Giggs, Giggs, we can't overlook this man for the future. Well, how is he going to integrate into the new uh, Van Gaal era? Well, so I... I well, whilst yes, it sounds cruel to say, "Oh well, because they performed so poorly, we can't we can't say anything negative about Giggs." We would we would have said lots of lovely things if he'd managed to inject the the team with all the things they've been lacking under Moyes. Well, it's curious because actually, I, my, my friend Ned, who's a big, <laughs> I feel like I know Ned myself now. Actually, he <laughs> pops up so often. Does he does he know Mo as well? <laughs> he doesn't know Mo. Oh, right. well, Ned is a funny name for you. No, I was just thinking he's, he's more regular on this podcast than I am. Anyway, he's a Manchester United fan, and he's, he also, he's also one of those conspiracy theorists. And he said that if you look at United's running on, on paper and, and the games that Giggs would take charge, he says that they're all cream puff games that, you know, he could easily win. And that was the thinking behind it. Now, A, Husey, do you, do you buy that, that they were all, that they gave him four easy games? And B, what's the logic in giving him four easy games? Because if he does really well and then Van Hal or whoever comes in starts badly, then you kind of have a problem on your hands. The, the, there's this sort of kernel of truth in there, and that pertains to the Everton game that Moyes was sacked 48 hours after, after it. The decision had already been taken largely before that fixture, and it seemed pretty cruel indignity to make him go and take charge of that game. I guess maybe they wanted Giggs to have at least one home game, you know, to, to kick, kick things off. Um, I, I don't, I don't think they just, you know, deliberately targeted the fixture list and said, right, we'll give give the caretaker um, four easy games. The Man United have got far more bigger problems than how Ryan Giggs does over the three or four week period. The most one is making sure that they get the next manager right, and that's where all the efforts are going. And we expect them to appoint Van Hal this, this week. Whether Giggs stays or as a coach is very interesting but I don't think that has anything I don't think that is dependent upon how he's done in these four matches it's all about when him and Louis van Gaal get in a room together and if they decide they can work work together and if Giggs will have a, a meaningful role to play he's not going to want to stay there as a, as a symbol of the class of 92 he's going to want to further his coaching career and learn things um, and it, it ultimately it will come down to them Susie again do we know who whose decision van Gaal is? I mean, is he, is he Sir Alex's man? I don't think anyone really knows that for sure. I think he's been involved in the process, but um, the difference with this time last year is that there is a proper process and discussions have been had, whereas last year we got the impression that Fergie just made his decision and almost sort of ennobled David Moyes rather than appointed him. I think this process, although it's been come to him pretty quickly, I think it's been far more rigorous and know for the fact that Ed Woodward has taken a far more pivotal role. He didn't actually start as chief executive till July the 1st. Um, so Moyes was sort of, whilst he was at the club, Woodward wasn't actually in charge and that appointment was made. Um, whereas this, this, this appointment has 
that's been made with Woodward very much to the fore, acting as a go-between between various members of the Glazers and the rest of the board. Uh, and I guess he will he will stand stand off all by. He's under pressure really. They've United you know, have had two very bad transfer windows so far on his watch. Um, and Ed Woodward needs to deliver. Otherwise, people will be talking about his future, no matter how many shirts United sell and how many laundry basket suppliers they uh, they do deals with. <laughs> okay, now well, I just want to be clear on this. Do you have any? Because you talk about the the board. Can, can we just be clear and? Woodward's the driving force behind this. I'm I'm assuming the Glazers don't know Louis Van Hal from Louis Theroux, so they presumably defer to the people with the knowledge. I'm assuming Sir Alex, I'm assuming, would be part of the process. I read somewhere that Bobby Charlton had input in this as well, and also that David Gill would have input. Can you confirm Paul or any of that? And is there anybody else? I think those are the those are the three sort of wise heads at Old Trafford, really. But this is it's very much Woodward's show. I think he felt slightly sore by what happened last summer and the mistakes that were made, and he was sort of almost too def, def, deferential to, to Ferguson and to Moyes to an extent, and the sort of cautious, slowly, slowly approach to transfers. He seems to have been trying to be far more proactive um, this this year. And he's def- he seems to have definitely led the, the, the man- management hunt. I mean, those 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 guys are important. I mean, Bobby Charlton, for example, is one of the probably one of the reasons that um, Jose Mourinho has never really figured in these discussions because he strongly believes in his brief that you know there's a Man United way of, of doing things, um, and they didn't want um, they didn't see Mourinho's fitting into that. What is interesting really? is they have they have gone they've gone. They've gone completely 360 degrees away from sort of trying to get another Ferguson, a long-term appointment, six-year contract to Van Gaal, who's in his 60s and will only get, I think, three years. So there's been a realization already that the sort of utopian United ideals might not actually um, might not actually be realistic in in, in the modern world of football. Um, ultimately, right. if you're Man United, you, ha- you have to you have to get results and. That's that, that's that's why that's why these changes have been made. Well, it was really useful to uh, Manchester United the result against Sunderland. I think. What losing? The, yeah, no. The way that that Gig said, I don't know. I don't know why we didn't show our passion. I don't know why we couldn't turn it on. And that proves they need someone with stacks and stacks of experience and a reputation for being quite tough. It just it just lays out the red carpet for Van Hal, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good yeah. point because, as we mentioned earlier, there was a bit of momentum behind gig behind gigs after they beat Norwich, and you had Gary Neville and a few other former players saying he should get the job, which is a, t- a total nonsense, really. You don't you don't appoint Manchester United manager because they can beat Norwich at home. You, you know, you, you want to get the best out there with a proven track record. Giggs could develop into that, but there's no evidence at all so far to suggest he will. So it would be a, a complete punt, which, given the state of the club, is one they can't afford to take, and nor should be. And, he's, and Giggs does sound like he's giving more brain time to worrying about whether he should carry on playing or not than whether he should be a manager. Enough United. We need to celebrate the fact that Sunderland are, barring some kind of act of God, going to stay up, right? right? Clive, that's pretty cool. It's a tremendous, tremendous comeback, a cup final, right? It's been a All hail Gus. Season. Well... Sort of. I mean, I get the impression that Gus had pretty much <laughs> given up the ghost a few weeks ago himself, so I'm not quite sure how much actual credit good old Gus takes, because he said, you know, from that time, I mean, the 5-1 at Spurs, they were truly dreadful. It was when he came out with, the, you know, the we need a miracle. And I kind of think he got one, or his players just decided to carry on playing, because I don't think, I'm not sure how much actual input Poirier has had in this uh, great revival, uh, apart from giving Conor Wickham his head and um, and allowing him to, you know, calling him in and playing up front. He seems to have been the the spark for this great comeback, as far as I can see. But it is a it is a great tale. Uh, there's no kind of denying that. I'm not quite sure why they were down there that afternoon. I don't think they are such a bad team to you know. There were undoubtedly worse teams than Sunderland in the air, well, in that do, division. I can tell you because there's a manager I know well who managed him at the start of the season and he got what like one point from seven games, something like that. Mm-hmm. That's why they were down there. Mm. Um, what, what I thought was, and I actually thought they actually made some 
some decent signings down to the, the departed director of football, who's a universal figure of fun. But yeah, but the players, I think, are, are talented players. Yeah. No? I mean, if you line up with, 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 with Adam Johnson, um, Borini, and Altador, Fletcher, or, or later on, uh, obviously, Wickham, who's been a hit, that's a very good, it's a very talented front three, one that might not produce on a regular basis, but, you know, am I wrong here, Allison? They're actually a very talented team. No, I don't, I don't by the standards no, of the I think, I think bottom third were, of the no, table, they were they were they were a tricky team, and they they had they had going down written all over them because of their inability to uh, form any level of consistency. The cup games they'd lift themselves against the big teams, they'd lift themselves, and they'd look abject against almost everybody else. And the reason I think Clive sort of doubting what Poyer did was there were times when Poyer himself was just vocally mystified as to why that would happen. It was almost as if he was saying, I just don't know why. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Can't. You know, the normal rules of football, a, a, a home game against a team similarly in trouble didn't seem to lift the players. So why, why would that not happen? And in fact, the 5-1 against Tottenham, weirdly, they felt, Poye said they felt that that wasn't quite justified. It rocked them. They weren't as bad as it looked, and it rocked them, and it, it sort of really shook them up. They weren't in a way, in a way that for some reason, just knowing that they were going to go down didn't shake them up. It was an embarrassment. They just felt within within one match they'd gone from looking quite promising to just dreadful, and for s- somehow, somehow, that miracle was that they just decided as a group, let's. Let's not let that happen again. And then Connor and Connor Wickham scored a few crucial goals, and suddenly, suddenly they have they can focus on one player because striker-wise, it wasn't working out, was it? I mean, Altador is not a great player. I think he is a great player who had a horrible season. Usually, Poyet, where does he rank in the managerial sweepstakes now? I mean, does he, he comes out of this? I presume with his 
reputation reinforced, even though Clive remains a doubting Thomas. The fact is, he does have a... a, a uh, I'm just that. I just think that you get the impression that Poirier isn't always... It's just thinking about how this is going to affect him. And you got the impression that, do I actually want to stick around with Sunderland? Uh, or am I thinking where I'm going next? Or, or of course. Planning but isn't that what you, what you should be thinking? Well, I don't know. Perhaps you should be thinking about actually getting this team because I'm not sure as I say you get the impression there's not a lot of input there wasn't a lot of positive stuff about talking Sunderland out of this situation Um, I think though it might have to do with the fact that at Sunderland you have a situation where you have an owner who is certainly rumoured or I'd say more than rumoured to be looking to sell you have a club that cut its wage bill by by close to to 25% in the summer if you're poet you know the, the days of the big spending at Sunderland are, are gone. So you, you've come in in an emergency situation, you've kept the club up, you reached the cup final. Naturally, you'd be looking to progress, no? I mean, uh, Husey, where does he rank? Does he have a market? Can he move up to a, a more ambitious team or a team with an owner that's willing to spend more money? Well, I think he can, and he probably will in time. I think the issue for Chris Poy is he's almost, he should be wary of being too ambitious and being too much of a hurry. His reputation is, is high now because he's got Sunderland to a League Cup final where they competed well, and he looks like he's going to escape from relegation. Um, but he he probably does need just a couple of years just to sort of stabilise himself. He was pretty badly hurt by what happened at Brighton. They've been a good attacking team, didn't quite achieve what he hoped they could, and obviously ended in pretty. Shambolic. We still don't know what happened, do we, Husey? Or you probably know, but well, you probably can't tell us idea, for legal probably, reasons. Yeah, probably, probably best not discuss right. over a mid-morning podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, let's just, let's just say because Poirier is, you know, he's, he's a very uh, interesting, interesting character who, who divides opinion. I think he's, he's a good manager, but he's almost sometimes he's almost too honest, too expressive. When he says we need a miracle. It's great copy, great headlines, but maybe maybe you should be less blunt. He needs to calm down a little bit, really. Um, All right. Well, let me let me end this bit here, this point a bit with this. Um, Husey, who's the Huddersfield manager right now? Mark Robbins. Would you swap Mark Robbins for Gus Poyet? Probably. Allison, would you swap Brendan Rogers for Gus Poyet? No. Allison's not answering. You would or what? Yes I or might. no? I might. I might. You might. Okay. Clive, would you swap? I'd swap you for Tim Sherwood at this time. <laughs> 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 yeah, so, um. All right, in our debate this week, we drew inspiration from our great leader, Ollie Kay, and his column on Saturday. It's about the homegrown rule, which was introduced in the Premier League a few years ago. For those who don't know, is that in the Premier League, you have a squad list of 25 players, but then you have sort of an unlimited number of players aged under 21. But the key is this... this list of players under the age of 25, eight of them have to be what they call homegrown. Now, homegrown can mean several things. It can mean uh, you came through the ranks at the club and spent at least three years at that club, which would have been my definition of homegrown. But it can also mean you're English, basically, and spent three years or more at uh, at another English club or British club. Or it can mean um, you're foreign and joined a foreign club and you spent three years there before you turned 21. And so as a result, as Ollie points out, City's roster has eight homegrown players. Joe Hart, James Milner, and Gail Clichy, who I think contributed to different degrees this year. Julian Lescott, who did too, I guess, in his own way. And then you have Mika Richards, Jack Rodwell, who were injured or not good most of the year. And then you have Dedrick Boyata, who I think played like 55 minutes. And then you have Richard Wright, who um, I have to say Clive didn't even realize was still was still playing because he's not playing. He's the third or fourth or fifth goalkeeper at the club. Ollie makes the point that perhaps this rule isn't quite working. Allison, you have an interest in developing young English talent? <laughs> um, Surely we all do. <laughs> me less so. Um, yeah, I have them. I have them all locked in my basement, actually. <laughs> okay, so what's your take on? What's your take on this? Is it, should we have a homegrown rule? Does it make any sense? If if the if they're just because it seems to me like it's welfare for people who fulfill the requirement. Yeah. Well. No. Well. There's lots of things going on here. The the the, the reason Ollie wrote the column was that we're about to hear about 
the review that's supposed to make um, English football uh, more competitive and more beautiful and make sure we win trophies over the next 25 years and uh, there is a general acceptance that there isn't quite enough top-level talent in the Premier League that is English. So what do we do about that? And if you uh, force successful clubs to play, to have to play and deal with and train every day with young English talent, uh, that will improve the prospects for whoever the manager can, can pick. I think what you'd end up getting if when you if you do everything by numbers, by rules, is you'd get what City have done, which is they've played a game with that homegrown rule. So that well, it's essentially it's essentially a team of the very best overseas talent. Can, can, and the and the and the names you've listed, they sound like they sound like also Rams and well, the Dregs, them, which is counterproductive. Six of them are English, to be fair, but it is part of the problem here is that Gail Clichy and Dedrick Boyata count as homegrown because even though they're obviously not English, because of the whole thing that some clubs love to do and going and nicking 16-year-old kids from other countries, often paying very little compensation. Which well, is that's the crucial it. bit of the rule if if the ultimate aim is to improve but the England team. You can't do the there's European Union um, yeah, regulation which says you can't go and dictate it based on based on nationality. Clive, do you care about this? I mean, should we even be discussing homegrown roles? Uh, yeah, if you care about international football, you probably do, don't you? Uh, and, do you? And an England team? Well, yeah, I think I probably do, yeah. Because it's becoming a bit of a, an also-ran side issue to the, to the club game. And if, you know, international football and things such as World Cups have to have any more standing, you know, you should care about international football. But it just seems, what, what gets me about this is just... An, and Matt, feel free to, to, to jump in here. I, I think there's a legitimately very talented group of young English players who have all these technical attributes and, and skill that supposedly England couldn't produce in the past. I mean, I'm talking about Tom Ince and, 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 and Sturridge and Ross Barkley and, and so on. And even the ones who, uh, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of these guys, right? And Shaw and... And I'm just kind of thinking, like, really, again, all this moaning, England haven't won the World Cups in 66. You know, it's cyclical. You spent money on, on academies. You've got this generation of younger players who actually are, I think, legitimately very good. It's a very Why big not cycle, that, though, isn't it? What? That's a very big cycle, isn't it? For 1966, well, I mean, no, how, but small, I, how listen, small listen, are listen, Italy's right. or Germany's cycle? Well, first of all, be realistic, okay? All right. Wow. You shouldn't be comparing yourself with Italy and Germany, with all due respect. Um, well, I'm not. But, but why secondly, not? why not? Why not? Why not? Yeah, but, yeah, but because you're a smaller country, because for a long time you were isolated football-wise. Compare yourself with France and Spain. You know, that can make sense, if you like. Compare yourself with Holland. Well, all of, the, all of them are more successful so, yeah. than England, considerably. Really? France? Yeah, of course they are. Well, France well, has won, won a World won, Cup? Won, England's won a World, won a World Cup. Cup. Well, they've won a World Cup. They've won a European Euro. Championship. Yeah. Um, Euro. They've, they've won one, two Euro Euro Championships. Well, um, but, Spain have won everything for the last six years. Um, yeah, but I think we do. We do. We do we, for, for the for the size of the country, for the love of the game, for the money that's spent watching sport in football in this country, we, we England do underachieve. Um, and that Simon Cooper disagrees with you. Does he? Well, he's look cleverer than I am I must, must confess but um, I, I think we do in the I mean partly it's because the talent is spread thinly across so many different sports in a way that it isn't in most other countries but um, I, I think England should be doing better internationally than they are but, and they should also be producing more of their own players and if we have to you know tighten, tighten the rules to, to make that happen to, to create a pathway then I think it's something worth cons considering I mean the real issue we haven't really touched on yet um, from my point of view, it's not so much the 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 uh, the, home, the homegrown element of having young foreigners to count as homegrown because that's a European law issue, which is kind of unsurmountable. But the biggest problem is in a 25-man squad, you can afford to carry passengers, um, which is what the homegrown players often are. I mean, Chelsea had a goalkeeper, an English goalkeeper, Ross Turnbull, for five years. He was never ever going to play for them. He probably played like. 10 appearances ever in the, in the League Cup um, but he was 
part of the squad, and that counted as homegrown, which is the clubs who's playing lip service to it. It's a, it's a, it's a total joke. So, Hughesy, can I just say about Ross Turnbull? We're yeah. so well connected here that our producer Dave McGuire plays football with him regularly. Well, that shows how good he is, isn't it? No offense, Dave. <laughs> um, but but he, here, here's my thing, and, and when people talk about England's underachievement, right? You always go back 40 years and to 66 and whatever. And I'm kind of like, maybe the reasons that you underachieved in the 70s and 80s aren't the same ones that you perhaps didn't, you know, underachieved in the last 15 years. So lumping everything together, I think, is kind of foolish because English football has changed and has evolved over those years. And the reasons that, that, that things didn't work out back then are different from the ones today. Yeah, and I completely, completely agree. But that doesn't mean there isn't an issue. I mean, the academies are better. We're producing more technical players um, than the sort of the classic blood and guts of you know, English. Exactly. Better type. But the, there's a massive problem of the number of young English players playing in the Premier League. Thirty-three percent is just not enough to um, create enough depth of a squad. You named five talented players, and yeah, there are some good kids coming through. It seems, but there's, there's certainly not enough of them. Um, if, if there were, you wouldn't be talking about, you know, taking Frank Lampard, Ashley Cole's World Cup, Stephen Gerrard. I mean, having your key players in their mid in your mid thirties, you wouldn't be relying on on Wayne Rooney, when he's the type fails to deliver time and time again for England at tournament football, and he's still the first name in Roy Hodgson's team sheet. Because there's a there's a criminal sort of lack of strength and depth in England, and I, I think it's because. Paul partly at least because enough kids don't get the opportunities to play and, and therefore improve. Alison, what if instead of a stick like beating teams into having eight homegrown players, you used a carrot? You said, no, you can have zero if you like, but we're going to link, and this is something I've advocated for a long time, but we're going to link TV money, development money, whatever else, to the number of minutes played by English players or England eligible players. In the Premier League, well, basically, it's not, not going to happen. The advertisers kick up a fuss because the players that most people want to watch are the glamorous foreigners. Aren't yeah, but they? presumably, though, when you talk about glamorous foreigners, you know, you're not talking about Balassi and and, and and people like that. You're talking about, you know, you're talking about superstars who'd be playing anyway. We're talking about the marginals. That doesn't sound like a carrot. That sounds like an even bigger stick to me. And I would I would suggest the way forward because of the EU laws and you can't insist that the homegrown rule is about purely English born players is and it, we're just starting to see it with Roy in Southampton is that you kill the obsession with picking players who play for um, top four clubs or, or players who've got European experience and you look further down the league and that there, you know the further down you go the more impressive the English born players are I mean Southampton you know Eighth place? Is that what they're going to finish? Eighth, probably. I mean, you know, the, the, the only reason Roy Hodgson is considering, and Jay Rodriguez would be there if he hadn't been injured, is considering so many players from Southampton, is because because they are actually shining. They are actually shining. And that, that overrides this bias against always picking players who, oh, they've got your Champions League experience, we can't really pick anybody else. Just open-mindedness about where you pluck English players from, and then that will feed back in on itself, because if they play well internationally, then managers such as Pellegrini will think, oh, I don't have to just pluck the best from the world outside of these shores. There are good English people, and it might help me if I base my team around a kernel of English players. Time now for some quick hits. Fulham are thumped by Stoke and are now down. Alison, you have a soft spot for the cottagers and their cottaging. Who's to blame here? <laughs> uh, Which cottager? Magath? No, go, go further back. Go Yol. further back. Go further, go further back. No, Alfayed, Chris Coleman. Maybe that far back. No. Laurie Sanchez. <laughs> there is a disconnect at Fulham. Roy. It has been famous for being an aging squad. An age, they've... they've, they've you know, for the past three years, people have gone, oh, look, Fulham, they're producing the oldest the oldest team in the Premier League this weekend. At the same time, they've invested properly in the youth structure with um, an academy head who's considered one of the best in the country, but Hugh Jennings, who did a fantastic job with the Southampton Academy, you know, Theo Walcott, etc., down to him. 
So you've so, so you've got a club that's a first team that's aging, and a youth team that is improving by the minute from 2008, which is quite a long time ago now. Why didn't anybody at the club think maybe we should start integrating earlier rather than getting to a point where you've got their under-18s about to possibly win the FA Youth Cup while their, te- their first team are, are being relegated? Moulinstein and Magat came in and both realised straight away, oh, the most talented players at this club are in the youth team. And you can't just prize them in, which is what they did. They just suddenly gave them first team action when they were aged 17 and 18. That's ridiculous. You've, you've got to, the transition's got to be smoother than that. But that is the proof that they saw the talent was there and it should have been integrated earlier. Aston Villa stopped the rot with a win over Hull. They're staying up too. Husey, there's rumours that the owners had enough, that fans aren't happy with Lambert. What would you advise? Mr. Rand, Mr. Rand it's pretty clear he's had enough because he's been, spend, been spending far less money and far less time with, on, on Villa over the last three or four years. Strong strong indications looking looking to sell and we'll do, we'll, we'll do so this summer. Either way, I think it's probably time put a change Paul Lambert hasn't worked hasn't worked there it's a classic case similar to David Moyes in a, in a sense of a you know, man moving to a, a bigger club and discovering that what worked what worked elsewhere is not necessarily transferable Newcastle and Alan Pardew finally win a game condemning Cardiff to the championship but Clive thousands of Newcastle fans walk out in minute 69 in protest at Ashley and the rest of the Cockney Mafia um, is this sort of thing effective and can you sum up, as somebody who's definitely not from the Northeast, what exactly their problem is with these people? Spent a lot of time in the Northeast. Actually, I loved it. I don't. I'm not quite sure what the point of actually handing over your money to go into the ground and then walking out of kind of does. Because I don't think you know, Mr. Ashley has your money. He doesn't care whether you stay or or go. To be quite honest, so from that point of view, not that effective. But maybe buying was, tickets and riding inside the ground would attract more attention. Yeah, uh, probably. Um, but f- I can understand why they're angry because it just you know if you. Spend any time talking to George Colkin, you see they're a fairly depressed bunch in the Northeast because they're beginning to question what the point of Newcastle United kind of is. It's just that they seem to have been in that position, eighth, ninth, tenth, on around 46, 49 points forever, and just right. Their 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 season just filled out completely. They for a team with Riddlers hasn't won a trophy for a number of years, but still prides itself on having some sort of cup tradition, and they just tossed away any ch- uh, chances of doing that, so they weren't interested in winning a trophy. And I think Alan Pardew, for all his uh, uh, criticisms and whatever, is, is, is ideal for Mike Ashley. He's probably as safe as houses, because Mike Ashley isn't interested in having a manager that might actually be in danger of... Newcastle winning things, therefore having to pay bonuses or get into Europe, thereby having to spend money on that. He just wants a team that can, that he can, or a building in which he can put sportsdirect.com on. So, which is <laughs> fine for them, but for Newcastle fans, yeah, I can see why, you know, they want a team that can inspire some sort of hope and belief. Arsenal end their home season with a win as Olivier Giroud grabs the only goal against West Brom. Allison, all this talk of Arsene Wenger's fourth place trophy earns him ridicule, but. Given the competition and what he's up against, should we actually be applauding him? Well, they did applaud at the Emirates, um, mainly because it would have been churlish not to because there's a cup final to look forward to. It is actually phenomenal, 17 successive seasons of Champions League football and uh, we're always bemoaning consistency or lack of it and the yo-yo behaviour of quite a number of clubs and here you've got uh, an organisation that produces reasonably high quality year in, year out. The frustration is of course that it feels to most fans that just a slight tweak and a bit more money splashed and they could they could actually get the title and it annoys them. Chelsea draw 0-0 at home to Norwich and it's a bit of a damp squib. Hughesy, you were there. I, I guess there's not too much to talk about the game about a couple um, Swarbrick decisions, but I, I'm interested in getting your take because on Friday, Mourinho had a bit of a pop at Eden Hazard suggesting he didn't always sacrifice himself for his teammates. Were you surprised that he came out in public with it and does it foreshadow A, Hazard being sold for a lot of money, or B, Hazard responding very well and says, no, Mr. Coach, Mr. Mourinho, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to work harder every day. And uh, and ultimately, Mourinho uh, getting the effect he wanted. 
very interesting question, and it's not just Hazard, is it? He's already sold one matter, the fans' favourite double player of the year, talented player. He's unhappy with Oscar, who's he's been left out recently. Recurring theme of Mourinho falling out with his flair players. Um, I think his kind of tough love philosophy can work, but only in the in the short term. So if he does, if he's def, if he's serious about staying at Chelsea for ten years, he, he may have to change because um, he, he he works them so hard. He's, he's so intense, so tough on them that that ultimately it, 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 it doesn't last. So if if he wants to hang around and build a long term relationship with these players, he, he may have to ease up a bit. Speaking of Norwich, assuming they do go down, will you miss them, Clive? And will you help me count the ways? I don't. I rarely miss any clubs that go down. To be quite honest, they're, going back to being selfishly Tottenham, they're the sort of team that Tottenham would probably struggle against a lot of the time. So, <laughs> bye bye. Yeah. Okay, Gab. Question for you. And oh my goodness, wasn't Cristiano Ronaldo's goal? Wonderful at the weekend. I'm a new fan now. I've just discovered Ronaldo. I didn't know he was so good till quite recently. It was Slatanesque, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, it was actually. Anyway, but what's happening in La Liga? It's just awesomely exciting. What's going to happen? It really is awesomely exciting. It's an absolute cliffhanger. Um, I, I, I wish I knew. Um, you have a situation where uh, Atletico have a three-point lead over Barcelona, but. Um, they play Barcelona in Barcelona on the last day of the season. You have uh, uh, Real Madrid, who are well, right now they're five points behind, but uh, they have a game in hand, and if they win that, they'll be two points behind. It's all very, very uncertain, and it comes on the back of a tremendous weekend, which saw Barcelona draw 2-2 on Saturday and thinking, all right, our season's over, Tata Martino stinks, let's get rid of him. And then all of a sudden, Levante beat um, Atletico Madrid on ta- uh, the, the following day and Real Madrid draw home with Valencia and it all looks special. Many thanks to my guests today, Alison Rudd making the long trek in from Barnes, Matt Hughes not making the long trek in from Barnes and Clive Petty making an even longer, even trip, longer trip in trip. from where? Sunny Stockfold. From where? Near Hitchin. Near Hitchin. That's right, Hitchin. Um, but of course you had to come here because you actually work I in this building. You had no building. choice. Yeah. Quick reminder, each week you can catch all the Premier League uh, action via the Times app. Download it now. You can also watch the uh, excellent Ahead of the Game TV show. Also check out thetimes.co.uk, which is wonderful if you don't like getting uh, uh, print ink on your hands. Those of us who are ink-stained wretches will continue to go and buy the actual newspaper. We're all on Twitter. Hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. Till next week, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash commentcentral and search Did You Read to subscribe on iTunes. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.